take the next few minutes and just share some things with you out of the Bible and, uh, and share with you some things that the Lord is speaking to me during this season. And you know, this, this kind of thing is one of my favorite things about the Christmas season is just creating these special moments, creating different ways to celebrate uh, what God is doing in our lives. Um, and in the church, generally, we start thinking about Christmas about four weeks before we observe it on Christmas Day. And in the church, we call this Advent. And you may have heard that word before if you've ever used an Advent calendar. When I was a kid growing up, our parents always bought us an Advent calendar. I had a younger sister, so we would argue over who got to open the Advent calendar which day. If it was chocolate, there was a fight on another level. Um, but it's a, what Advent means is it basically means that we're in a season counting down to Christmas. Uh, but in the church, this is more than just a countdown. It's more than just opening a chocolate calendar. Um, in this season, we remember the longing of the people of Israel to receive the promised Messiah. They waited for generations to receive the Messiah. And so we remember the longing of the people of Israel. Christmas is when we observe the birth of Christ and the forever change that he would bring through his life, death, and resurrection. The second purpose for Advent is that when we observe this period of waiting, we remember that we are again in a season of waiting. The Bible tells us about two comings of Jesus. The first coming of Jesus is what we celebrate at Christmas. It's when Jesus was born of a virgin and came to, came, uh, to incarnate himself into humanity. And the second coming hasn't happened yet, but this is when Jesus will bring justice to the oppressed and we will re begin living into the resurrection. And we're so ready for that to happen because that means there will be no more injustice, no more curse of sin and death. But it hasn't happened yet. And so we're in a season of waiting. We're in what we call a second advent. Uh, but during the season of Advent, we've been looking closely at the song of praise that Mary sings in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. This is often called a Magnificat, and she sings this song after she has received the promise that she will bear the Son of God. And we've read this each week. We'll read it again today out of Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. I love coming back to Luke's account of the birth of Jesus because it brings us back to the reality of why Jesus came. This is the question that we have to confront in the Christmas season. In other seasons, we can kind of avoid the topic of Jesus, but at, at Christmas, we're kind of confronted with it. And the question we're left to ask is why? Why was it necessary for Jesus to come? Now, I don't know what you've heard about Jesus. Maybe most of what you've heard about Jesus has had to do with what behaviors Jesus likes and what behaviors Jesus doesn't like. Jesus likes it when we give our money to the poor. Jesus doesn't like it when we do all of the fun things that we want to do, right? Or maybe your 
uh, context on Jesus is mostly drawn by pop culture and what the people around you have told you Jesus is. But today I want to challenge you to consider the possibility, consider the possibility that Jesus is real and that Jesus is who he says he is. And not only is Jesus real, not only is he who he says he is, but you can know him. You can know Jesus. That's why we show up here every Sunday. That's why we come to church. It's simply because we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and we want to know him. The prophecies about the Messiah were true, and he was even better than they could have imagined. So today we're going to kind of zoom in on verses 52 and 53 here. And this is my favorite stanza in Mary's song. She says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You know, we've mentioned that the reality of the Messiah was kind of a disappointment and sort of confusing to the people when Jesus came. The people of Israel had been waiting for generations for their redeemer. Now, Jesus' followers, his his disciples, they believed that he was the Messiah, but they kept waiting for the moment. They kept waiting for the moment when Jesus would reveal himself, this transformational moment when he would take power or overthrow the government. But what Mary knew from the beginning was that transformation would not come through a show of power. So she begins to hint at this sort of uneven exchange. See, our perspective on it is skewed because it doesn't make sense the way Jesus did things. It seems like it would have been a good idea for Jesus to befriend the rulers in power, for him to kind of buddy up with the political leaders in order to gain influence. But Mary says he will bring down those in power and will elevate the humble. And then she says, he'll fill the hungry and send the rich away. Our logic would tell us that Jesus, if he really understood marketing, if he really wanted to bring change, he would become friends with the rich so that he could invite them to his fundraisers for his political campaign. That's not relevant to any of our political situations right now, is it? But instead, we see Jesus born into a family with low social status. And he befriended those who had nothing to offer him financially or according to their social status. From the beginning, Jesus was subversive. Jesus was subversive from the very beginning. He introduced us to what we call the upside down kingdom of God. The kingdom of God makes no sense in our human way of thinking. This is the kingdom where the powerful are disarmed and the humble reign alongside God. This is a kingdom where found in Christ, the poor are satisfied. And without Christ, the rich are deficient. The upside down kingdom is one where Jesus offers us the uneven exchange of his life for our death. Mary illustrates this upside down kingdom with two simple truths in this stanza. And the first one she shares with us is that Jesus is on the side of the humble. Jesus is on the side of the humble. This occurs in two different ways. The first is that Jesus is on the side of those in humble circumstances. See, humanity keeps trying to make Christianity about power and influence. We still see this. If you look through Instagram and you look at different churches, we see this celebrity culture in the church. It's our human nature. It's what draws us. But Jesus keeps moving among the oppressed and the marginalized. 
Jesus doesn't ever move in the way we think he will. He tends to prefer the oppressed and the marginalized. He's on the side of those in humble circumstances. Over and over again, Jesus gave his time and his attention not to the rich and not to the powerful and not to the religiously good. He gave himself to those whose need was the greatest. The wonderful thing about the upside down kingdom of God is that we know no matter what situation we find ourselves in, whether you have a beautiful apartment or whether you have a studio that you can barely turn around in, whether your bank account is full or maybe you don't know how you're going to pay the rent next month, whether your belly is full with hot food or you scrape it together to buy a baguette, no matter what your circumstances. Jesus is on your side, and we trust that in the resurrection, he will make all things right. One of my favorite Christmas songs has a stanza that says, Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. This is why he came. He's on the side of those in humble circumstances, and he's on the side of those who humble themselves. No matter what your circumstances are, we have to come to a place of brokenness in order for Jesus to make something of our lives. Jesus favors the poor. He favors the marginalized. But if you find yourself in a position of success and wealth, you have to humble yourself. We don't have to experience brokenness societally to experience the love of Christ. All we have to do is have the correct perspective of ourselves. It's a difficult thing to face reality as humans. And it's a scary thing to do when we start to face how little we have to offer. When we start to think about how short our lives are. When we hear a tragic story of a young person dying and we realize how frail our bodies are. When we realize how susceptible we are to a thing as simple as biology, our life can end like this. When we realize how little impact our lives have beyond the last breath that we draw. Or when we realize how capable we are of those of hurting those who love us most. When we take a hard look at our lives, it shows us that we exist in a place of brokenness. But it is only in recognizing our own limits and our own brokenness that we recognize our need for Jesus Christ. It is only when our lives are submitted to Christ that he can make something out of us. Jesus is on the side of the humble. The second thing Mary expresses to us here is that Jesus is on the side of the hungry. Jesus is on the side of the hungry. She's not talking about physical hunger here. She's talking about the things that we hunger for in our lives. See, without Christ, nothing will ever satisfy you. You can have everything possible to fill your lives. You see these stories of these celebrities who were world famous, who had, you know, beautiful partners and lots of money and fame. You see stories where they kill themselves. Why? Because nothing was good enough. Nothing could satisfy if you don't have Jesus, you will always be hungry. Mary prophesies that the child she carries will fill the hungry with good things. Will fill the hungry with good things. For me, even as a Christian, even as your pastor, I can find myself in a place where I'm never satisfied. Because I think I want something, and then when I get the thing I wanted, I'm still not satisfied with it. When I get the thing I crave, I find that it still doesn't fill the need in me that I needed it to fill. This can keep me in a place of constant disappointment because the things I hunger for never fill me up. The only thing that can fill that hunger is Jesus Christ. 
This passage foreshadows something that Jesus said over and over, which is that the kingdom of God belongs to the humble and the poor and the powerless. This is problematic for some of us. This is problematic for some of us because for some of us, this is old news. The story of Jesus becomes old news if we don't have a fresh revelation of who he is. Some of us seek answers in other places and some of us just have better things to do than to allow Jesus to fill our hunger. But Jesus promises, he promises to fill the hungry. And what that mean it means is, no matter where you find yourself out to, at today, whether you believe, maybe you don't believe, maybe you want to believe and you can't quite get there, wherever you're at today, Jesus has created a seat at his table for you. The seat is already there. He's already welcomed you to join him. The riches of the love of Christ and the depths of the joy found in him are available to you. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. It doesn't matter where you're from or how much money you have. The only thing you have to do to get a seat at the table is show up. That's all you have to do to get a seat at the table, to receive the riches of Christ. All you have to do is show up. The only thing you have to do to receive Christ is acknowledge your need for him. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, he says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He doesn't say come and have some tap water. He says, take wine and take milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. You will delight in the richest affair. See, Isaiah is not talking here about food that fills our bellies. He is talking about a spiritual hunger. There's a longing inside of us to find something that is spiritually meaningful. That desire to have a spiritual experience. What Isaiah is saying is that the only way to fill that hunger is to receive from Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you've been searching for something real. Maybe all the things you're chasing have started to seem meaningless. You're like, what is real? What is worth it? What makes this life worth living? What makes it worth it? Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're at a place where you've kind of been interested in some spiritual experiences. Maybe you've tried some different spiritual things and you haven't found yourself satisfied. Or maybe you're here and you've been ignoring that part of yourself altogether. You've just been ignoring that spiritual side because you don't even want to think about what that might mean. As we look toward and we celebrate the birth of Christ, we're confronted with the truth that Jesus Christ came into the world to elevate the humble and to satisfy the hungry and to take upon himself our sin and our death. Jesus Christ is not a spiritual experience. If you're here today and you're looking for a spiritual experience, Jesus Christ is not a spiritual experience. He is a savior. He will totally transform your life. It's not an experience where you have 20 minutes of like, wow, I feel so much better. He will transform every corner of your life. The things that feel the most hopeless in you and the things that feel the most dead in you need more than a spiritual experience. They need a savior. Amen. 
They need a God who can raise the dead out of the grave. It's not enough. It's not enough to have an experience. We have to hunger for transformation. And when we show up and when we acknowledge our need, Jesus always satisfies the hungry. The promise Jesus makes us is this. When we delight ourselves in him, we will always be satisfied. We will find what we are looking for in the person of Jesus Christ. When we ignore our need for Jesus, we will never be satisfied. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, makes no difference. I find myself in a constant place where I I start to feel, man, I'm so dissatisfied. I'm so impatient. I feel so angry. I feel so disappointed in my life. What is going on? Then I go, oh, I'm looking for other things to fill my hunger. I have to recalibrate myself. I have to come back to the cross. I have to come back to the manger and say, I've been looking for other things to fill my hunger. Sometimes I have to say, Jesus, I forgot. I forgot and I looked in other places. I was looking for you and I didn't know it. The season of Christmas is not just about the lights and the gifts. And it's not even just about creating beautiful memories with your family. All of those things are wonderful. All of those things are things that we celebrate. But Christmas is about the opportunity to return to the purpose of Christ's incarnation. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. One of the ways that we observe Advent and kind of count down to Christmas is by lighting a candle each week and taking a moment to reflect on different aspects of God's character. In just a moment, we'll we'll light the the third candle of Advent and then Mariana will lead us in another song. And I want us just to take this time to reflect on what we hunger for, to reflect on what we're searching for, I'm going to invite one of our team pastors, David, to come and lead us in the lighting of the third candle this morning. The first week of Advent, we lit the candle of hope in recognition of the hope that we have in Christ and the hope that we wait for in the resurrection. Last week, we, we lit the candle of love in recognition of God's great love for us. Today, we light the third candle, which represents joy. As we wait for Christmas, the birth of Jesus, we look forward to the joyful celebrations we'll share with those that we love. The prophet Zephaniah calls us to shout for joy because God will gather together all people and renew them in love. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, The angel told the shepherd not to be afraid. The angels angels brought good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. The good news of Jesus' birth and the promise of peace are still tidings of great joy for us today. Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7 tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and and your minds in Christ Jesus.
Hey, this is Kelly, lead pastor of the Bridge International Church. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from the Bridge. If you'd like more information about the Bridge, or if you'd like to get in touch with us, visit us at thebridgeparis.com. Thank you.